Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. S.I. McMillian, in his book, None of These Diseases, tells a story of a young woman who wanted to go to college. But her heart sank when she read the question on the application blank that asked, Are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote, No, and returned the application, expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received a letter from the college, Dear Applicant. A study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,400 and 52 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. So my question is, if we were to fill out this application of what would we put for that question? Are you a leader? Would we be like the 1400 or, and put yes, or would we have to put no? Or even better question is, what would someone else put if they were to fill the application out for you? What kind of response to our leadership would we see? And that's the type, and that's what I want to preach on tonight is a message I've entitled The Response to Godly Leadership. Let's start reading in Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the, the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with, the, with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women, and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mathathiah and Shema and Ananiah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Messiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbandana, Zechariah and Meshalam, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and blessed, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shebathai, Hodajai, Masai, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pel- Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to come and preach your word, God. I do ask for your hand upon Pastor, Lord, and I also ask your hand upon me. Um, speak to our hearts, God. Help your, me just be filled with your spirit this, this evening, Lord, as I uh, share your word. Uh, speak to our hearts. Help us to have open hearts and open minds to whatever it is you have for us tonight. 
I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. So before we get into what the, the response that to the godly leadership that we see in Nehemiah chapter 8, first I want to, because um, several weeks back I preached on God leadership uh, that we see in Nehemiah's life out of chapter 8. So very quickly I want to recap the characteristics that we see in Nehemiah's life out of the out of chapter 5 of Nehemiah. So turn with me real quick over to Nehemiah chapter 5, just a few pages over. I'm going to hear pages stop and I'll start, I'll start reading. And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews, for there were that said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also are there which said we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. Some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said to them, Ye exact usury, ursery, I'm probably saying it wrong again. Usury, I said it right, sorry. And I set a great assembly against them. So the, the very before we get into the, the characteristics we see, for those of you who weren't here when I preached that before, I'm just very quickly just going to go into the context of what's going on here. So first in verse 2, it says, We take up corn for them that they may eat and live. So they're having to borrow money just so they can, as he says, they live, just so they can survive. So they're, oh, thank you. Just so that they can survive because they're, they're starving. And then in verse 3, it says that we might buy corn because of the dearth. Dearth means famine. So there was, they're starving and there was a famine. And then in verse 4, it says we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. That phrase upon our lands and vineyards, it's a term which is referred to as pledged assets and is defined as collateral pledged by a borrower to a lender. Essentially, they're, it's kind of, like, kind of like a car loan. They're essentially pledging their assets so that if they couldn't pay it back or with, we don't have a specific like timeline if they didn't pay it back or anything like that, but that they could legally take their land. And then at verse 7, in verse 7 it says exact usury. And so what we see is that they're starving because pe- that word literally means the legal practice of lending money at unreasonably high rates of interest. So there's people that are starving and during the famine, and they're being forced to borrow money at very unreasonably high interest rates and having to pledge their their land to them. So the first thing we see is Nehemiah's his heart for the Lord in verse in verse nine. He says, and I also I said, is it not good? It is not good that ye do ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen our enemies. So we see that he has not only has a fear that he loves the Lord. But he also loves the Lord enough to challenge the people to that their fear of God should challenge them to not do this. The, the second thing we see characteristic of guy leadership in Nehemiah's life is his heart for the word. In verse 10, he says, I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of, of them money and corn. I pray you let us leave off this usury. So 
In Exodus 22:25, it says, If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as a usurer, neither shall thou lay upon him usury. So under the Mosaic law, it was completely illegal what they were doing. So not only does Nehemiah know that he has the knowledge of God's word well enough to call him out on this, but he loved it well enough to challenge them to stop doing this because of it. So that was the second thing we see. The third characteristic of God's leadership is his heart for the people. In verse 7, he rebukes the people, but then also in verse 9 through 11, he doesn't just say, hey, you have to do this. I'm in charge. He actually reasons with the nobles as well to challenge them to stop doing this, showing he has a heart for them as well. So just to recap, we ha- he has a heart for the Lord, his heart for the word, and his heart for the people. Now we'll jump back over real quick to Nehemiah chapter 8 and dive into the people's response to this guy leadership we saw earlier in chapter 5. The first thing we see is the people seek the word. In verse 1, it says, And the people gather themselves together as one man. That phrase one man means unanimously or as one voice, that they gather themselves together and said, you know, Give us the word. Let us hear from the word, as it says. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law. And then in verse 5, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. So you see the people literally, they all stood up. And then in verse 3, it says, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. So morning means uh, literally means daylight, um, daylight, so sunrise, and then midday means afternoon. So to combine all of what that that was together, so for six straight hours they stood to attentively, as it says in verse one, listen to God's word, and they listened to it preached, not just listen to it be read, but they li- listened to it be preached. In verses seven and eight, it says they caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. So they they came not only just seeking to hear from God, from his word, but also to listen to what exactly does this mean and how can I apply this in my life. So what we can take from this is how much time do we spend in God's word? And not just when we come to church. And absolutely church is important and we need to come to church and want to hear God's word. But how much time do we set aside who reads God's word every day. And not only that, but there are plenty of re- people, men and women here who have the resor- who can help you with the resources to listen to preaching as well, more than just on Sunday and Wednesday. That it's something that there's tons of other, there are plenty of other good Bible preaching, godly churches out there that have sermons we can listen to as well to encourage us and challenge us throughout the week in between services. In Psalms 122, verse 1, it says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. And then in Psalms 1, verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. But seeking God's word and just wanting to hear it and actually listening to it are two totally, completely different things. Which brings me to the second point of what we see is the people listened to God's word. In verse 6, it says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands. 
And then in verse 9, it says, and it caused the people, and for all the people wept. So first they sought God's word, and then they prepared their hearts to hear it. And it burdened them so terribly that they were living their lives not to their absolute best ability for God. So they didn't just come there, come to church and say, okay, hey, I'm going to do my obligation. I'm going to show up here, but I actually want to hear from God today. What does he have for me? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5.1, it says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. So what the Bible is literally saying here is that if we come to church and we just listen to the words that are being said or, we just, or even the Bible, but we don't come here preparing and saying, God, speak to my heart, and having a heart ready to hear, more ready to hear every single time you come here, then, or every time you go to God's word, or every time you hear preaching, then it's literally saying you're a fool. The most exhausting thing that I have ever experienced in the world, in my life, and I'm sure many people here can relate to this, is living a, Christ, a life of Christianity half in, half out, where you show up here and you you pay your dues and you you listen to the words and then you walk out not having changed anything. You say, okay, I'm, I'm going to show up to church, but your heart's completely bowed towards God, and you don't want to hear anything he has to say. He is speaking to you, but you don't want to. You don't want to hear it. It is, it is exhausting. Right? We're pretty sure we've all been there at one point or another in our lives, and it's very exhausting. But that's the beauty of godly leadership: is it paints a picture of God and His love for others, and it says that you can always change your heart and you could decide to actually listen to what God has for us. Psalm 51, verse 16 through 17 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not disguise, not despise. Uh, probably about a, a week ago, one of my, my managers, her name's Christina, I for a while I'd been trying to politely tell her that a lot of times when I'm trying to explain things to her that she doesn't really listen to what I was trying to say. And one day I just gave her very direct feedback like, hey, sometimes I feel like you're not listening to what I was saying. So we had a, in the morning we were really slow and she was trying to tell me about this, this process like, hey, I want you to do it this way. And I was trying to get clarification on what she was saying. All, what I was trying to do was trying to get clarification like, hey, do you mean this right now while it's slow or do you mean it in general? And she kind of got upset because she didn't understand that I was asking for clarification and thought I was arguing with her. But so when I was talking to her later about that, and I was telling her, hey, I understand and I agree with what you're saying about that after I got clarification, but at the time, you weren't listening to what I was saying because I agree with the process and I agree with what you're saying. And then um, after that, when she was it, was, it was a great illustration. I was telling her that she wasn't, a lot of times wouldn't listen to what I was saying because she went on to explain the process to me again. And I'm like, no, I, I understand the process. I agree with you. And it really was, a, as I was thinking about an illustration of hearing but not listening, and we all do the exact same thing. I, I all the time, I even told her when we were talking about it later, I do the same thing all the time to people, where you're listening and you're trying to give an answer, but we do the same thing to God, where we come in here and we're like, okay, oh, yep, that's great. Yep, we need to, I need to read my Bible more. Or even sometimes we start to just think, oh, well, this person needs that, or they need to read their Bible more. But the question is, how is our heart today? Are you right now, are you physically here, but your heart is somewhere else completely? 
And that could be anything. It could be even something well-meaning. It could be thinking about pastor. While we definitely need to pray and think about pastor, the best thing we could do to help pastor is continue to help keep our heart focused on God and seeking him. Because if we're not right, it's really not going to help be able to pray for him. Because if we have iniquity in our hearts, God says he won't hear our prayers. The third response that we see to the to in chapter 8 of Nehemiah is the people turn from the world. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verses in Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 3 it says, "Now in the 20th and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them, and the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins." and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day and another fourth part of another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. In Nehemiah and then so so again so it says a fourth part of the day they confessed the a fourth part literally means 3 hours. So in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 14 it says and they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feasts of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. You skip down to verse 17, and it says, For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto that day, had not the children of Israel done so. So what we see is not only does hearing God's word cause us to worship God and challenge, and when people do, when our godly leadership, when we live, when we lead godly lives, not only does it challenge people to want to hear God's word and want to actually listen to it, what we also see it causes people to want to worship God and seek him more diligently. And it also causes people to go back to the ways that God commands us to in ways that even people have gone completely away from like they have here. In, in James chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Second Chronicles 7, verse 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their their land. So my question is, does our godly leadership invoke this kind of response? Do we want do you want to see people in your life does have a desire to listen to God's word, to have a heart to hear it, to turn from their wicked worldly ways and to God? If you do, the first thing we need to do is examine our leadership. Do we have a heart for the Lord? Do we have a heart for the word and do we have a heart for people? And then how do we respond? To godly leadership? Are we seeking God's word? Do you come here, do we come here wanting to hear preaching, wanting to hear from God? Are you purposing to hear it? And did you come here this evening asking God to break your heart so you can hear from him saying, whatever you speak to me about God, I will do it. Lastly, when God does speak to your heart, do you take action? If God spoke to your heart today, which, which I hope he did, are you going to take action? 
the woman from S.I. McMillian's book can teach us an important lesson. If you want people to, to be godly people in your life, to live more godly lives, and it's really simple, be godly. If you want people to have this type of response to your leadership, then start with your response to leadership. The world needs more leaders that follow. Be the one out of 1,400. Let's pray.